Welcome to the second mini-episode of Let's Talk 10. I'm Dan Fisher. For today's show, there will be no guests, no top 10 lists. It's just me. To say that I enjoy breakfast cereal would be a vast understatement. Honestly, I'm kind of a fanatic for the stuff. Even now, at my age, I can happily have it for any meal, any time of day. Back when I was a kid, when my sisters and I would be dragged to the grocery store with our mom, one of the few things that we actually looked forward to was a trip down the cereal aisle. If we were relatively well-behaved, mom would let us pick out one box of cereal apiece. This was an important decision, one that would affect at least the coming week's breakfasts. So the pressure was on. Our choices made on a number of factors. Flavor and texture, of course, real fruit flavoring or chocolate, that unique cat and crunch formula that sometimes hurt the roof of my mouth. Did I hate how mushy life cereal got the longer it stayed dunked in milk? Or did I actually kind of dig it? My fickle tastes could also be swayed by some sort of amazing prize promised within the box. Who wouldn't want a 3D baseball trading card or a rubber band powered race car or a real 45 RPM record of the Jackson 5 singing ABC. But when you're only allowed that one special cereal to drop into your mother's shopping cart, sometimes... All of those commercials you watched in between Saturday morning cartoons come back to you. And boom, there it is. That propeller-headed space alien grinning and waving at you. That goofy pink Frankenstein monster, harmless as a butterfly, just as friendly as he can be. And then you know which cereal you want. That one. Even now... If I'm wandering a grocery store and I find myself down that aisle, sometimes I'll just stop to gaze at a box of Fruit Loops or Cocoa Puffs. I can't quite explain it, but I'm not ashamed to talk about it. There have been, of course, hundreds of cereal brands and mascots that I could reminisce over, but since our time is limited, I thought it might be fun to consider the history of some of the more notable mascots, including more than a few obvious Hall of Famers. Sonny Jim was the very first cereal mascot created in 1902 for Force Cereal. A top-hatted, bespectacled gentleman with a walking stick, Sonny Jim resembled the New Yorker magazine mascot. Though that guy wouldn't debut until 1925, so maybe his design was inspired by Sonny Jim. Force, a serial you probably had no idea existed until today, discontinued in 1983. Snap, Crackle, and Pop came along in 1933, and of course they're still around today. Snap showed up first, a little gnome with a baker's hat and a spoon, just a little doodle on the side of the box. But folks got a kick out of him, and he caught on. Crackle and Pop joined Snap a year later for posters and radio ads. 
But the power trio would have to wait until 1941 to finally pose for their first cereal box. Millions more would follow for the next 90 years. Sit down breakfast with Tony and you'll discover why it's right. Is it hyperbole to declare Tony the Tiger the Elvis Presley of cereal mascots? Born in 1952, Tony was relaxed, confident, popular, athletic, always supportive and encouraging to kids going through those tough times. Faithful husband, Mrs. Tony doting father of Tony Jr., who was briefly a spokes cub for his own cereal, Kellogg's Frosted Rice. This crispy rice is frosted so right, I've got to say, frosted rice is all right! But, as Frank Sinatra Jr. could tell you, it's not so easy to follow in the old man's footsteps. Like Tony Soprano, Tony the Tiger was an alpha from day one. Thurl Ravenscroft also renowned for having originally sung Your Mean One, Mr. Grinch, gifted him with that commanding, kind of sexy voice. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. The Trick's rabbit began life as a puppet in 1955, then reincarnated into his cartoon self in 1959. Throughout the years, mail-in voting contests have been held for kids to decide whether or not to let the rabbit eat tricks. And every single time, kids voted overwhelmingly yes. And then a subsequent commercial would air, allowing the rabbit his moment of glory. But like Wiley e. Coyote chasing the Roadrunner, satisfaction was always short term, as elusive as a black tunnel painted on the side of a cliff. Unlike tricks and lucky charms, the kids in the Cocoa Puffs commercials really would sometimes share their cereal with Sonny the Cuckoo Bird, though they'd usually wind up regretting it. Just one taste, and the next thing you know, Sonny would be shrieking, Yummy! I'm Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs! Like a crack addict, destroying everything in his radius in a whirlwind, sugar-hyped frenzy. Any parent that might be concerned over the sugar content of this and other cereal aisle favorites? Maybe this was the reason Little Junior was always bouncing off the walls? They were probably not the biggest fans of Sonny the Cuckoo Bird. It's part of his good and precious breakfast. Toucan Sam flew onto our kitchen tables in 1963. His voice was originally supplied by Mel Blanc, and he talked pretty much like Barney Rubble. Listen, have you noticed something very special about new Kellogg's Oopfrey Oopslay? They elves may so delicious day. But in the 1970s, Sam was given a reboot, with Paul Fries supplying a sophisticated, Britishy voice, reminiscent of the actor Ronald Coleman. Ah, Kellogg's Fruit Loop cereal. Real fruit flavors, orange, lemon, and cherry. Whether or not kids really cared about hoity-toity pretenses towards sophistication, they did like the bright colors and ring shapes and that flavor of pretend fruit and they've been following their noses ever since.
If Tony the Tiger was the Elvis of his serial generation, then perhaps Captain Crunch and his seafaring gang were the Beatles of theirs when they washed ashore in 1963. Designed by animator Jay Ward, creator of Bullwinkle and George of the Jungle. Hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. The captain and his SS Guppy crew would playfully battle their serial-stealing nemesis, the barefoot pirate Jean Lefoot. Give it to me. Very well. Sea Dog, give it to him. The serial itself was such a smash that it spawned an entire shelf of spin-off serial products. Captain Crunch with Crunchberries, Peanut Butter Crunch, Vanilla Crunch, Christmas Crunch, and over a dozen other variations on the theme. Nineteen sixty-three was also the year that Lucky the Leprechaun and his magically delicious frosted Lucky Charms entered our collective consciousness and our bellies. Like the Trick's rabbit, children for some reason refused to share their cereal with him. Always after we Lucky Charms, the frosted old cereal with sweet surprises. Interestingly, General Mills' marketing department came to discover that sales of Lucky Charms would improve dramatically if the color and composition of the marshmallows were changed up every couple of years. Like a toy or a temporary stick-on tattoo, Lucky Charms marshmallow stars, rainbows, and horseshoes were, for kids, the prize in the box. Can't get enough of that sugar crush. Sugar Bear was always cool, even if he couldn't keep track of what cereal he was trying to sell you. It began as Super Sugar Crisp in 1965, then, when the word sugar became taboo for cereal boxes, it was rechristened as Super Golden Crisp. Now, it's simply Golden Crisp. Delicious puffs of wheat you want to share with friends. Join us, Blob? They're not my friends, they're... Blob, there's black, white, brown, yellow, I got fur, and we all enjoy Super Sugar Crisp. Sugar Bear's voice was modeled on either Bing Crosby or Dean Martin, depending on who you'd ask. Like Popeye... Sugar Bear's strength would increase to superhuman powers with just one bite of his delicious, nutritious, crisp cereal, providing crucial energy to defeat potential foes with a vitamin-packed punch. But, in time, thanks to the efforts of parents' groups, Sugar Bear would have to learn to resolve his issues less violently, as would Popeye, as would Punchy, the mascot for Hawaiian Punch. Hey, how about a nice Hawaiian punch? Sure! In 1971, Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble helped to kick off the era of the celebrity serial spokestune, a phenomenon that would explode in the 1980s, with serial brands devoted to the likes of E.T., C-3PO, Bill and Ted, The Smurfs, The Ghostbusters, Rainbow Bright, Pac-Man, Urkel, and Mr. T, who became, finally, the first non-racist black character to have his own cereal in 1984. As for Fruity and Cocoa Pebbles, those commercials tended to follow the same repetitive formula as those for Tricks and Lucky Charms. Fred would be shown peacefully eating his cereal, then Barney, through some convoluted, ridiculous scheme, would snatch it away while Fred gave chase. 
I know everybody loves Barney Rubble, but that's an asshole move. Don't be scared. I'm the super sweet monster with the super sweet new cereal, Count Chocula. Bethel, here's the super sweet new cereal, Frankenberry. 1971 was a monster year for cereal mascots, literally, when Count Chocula and Frankenberry emerged on the scene. I was a monster kid, addicted to Saturday afternoon television marathons of old Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi flicks, from which Frankenberry and Count Chocula borrowed their voices, if you want to call it that, not to mention Boo Berry and Peter Lorre. Hello, my name is Boo. <laughs> Let me finish. Booberry. Fruit Brute scratched and clawed his way in in 1974, followed later by Yummy Mummy in 1987. And just this year, Camilla Creeper, a girl zombie who's also a DJ, joined the monster cereal universe. Because girls deserve candy for breakfast just as much as boys do. They weren't really mascots, but attention and respect should be given to some of the famous serial kids from the 1970s. Like Mikey, the life serial kid. He likes it! Hey, Mikey! And the Honeycomb Kids, who were so cool, they had their own clubhouse, the Honeycomb Hideout, where anybody could drop by, a roller derby queen, a cowboy, a pro wrestler. And these kids were refreshingly generous. They had no problem sharing their cereal because they knew at the Honeycomb Hideout, there would always be plenty more where that came from. If the Trix Rabbit had only known about the Honeycomb Hideout. Come to the Honeycomb Hideout! But in 1995, Honeycomb evicted the gang from their Honeycomb Hideout in an attempt to create their own cartoon mascot, Crazy Craving. In the commercials, Crazy Craving would start out as just an ordinary kid. But then they'd get hungry, and then they'd transform into this werewolf-like, berserk little creature. An excessively hirsute, bug-eyed troll doll in sneakers. Did this work? It did not. Crazy Craving wound up freaking kids out more than it made them beg their folks to buy them a box of honeycomb. And by 2005, Crazy Craving was shipped off to a lovely little farm far, far away, where he could run and play all day long with his fellow failed cereal mascots like Cliffy the Clown, the Quangaroo, and Sir Grapefellow. In 1977, the childhood dream of eating cookies for breakfast without getting in trouble for it became a reality. Cookie Jarvis, a wizard with the magical ability to turn anything into a cookie, was Cookie Crisp's first spokes character. Oh, you can't have cookies for breakfast, but you can have Cookie Crisp. Other dessert-style cereals followed, including Dinky Donuts, Cinnamon Mini Buns, Churros, Ice Cream Cones, S'mores, and many more products that certainly were healthy choices for any child's breakfast. For decades, Cheerios has been the most valuable brand in the cereal business, generating over a billion in sales each year. In 1980, 
Buzz B flew onto television screens as the mascot for Honey Nut Cheerios, which in short time outsold the flagship brand. It's the sunny taste of honey, when you pull some kind of nutty. It's a honey out of home, it's Honey Nut Cheerios. Like Cookie Jarvis and Snap, Crackle, and Pop, Buzz isn't just a mascot. Buzz is a worker, a creator, responsible for dabbing each single Cheerio with just the right amount of honey. Thank you, Buzz. You're awfully sweet. Hold on. Not yet. A few questions before signing off. When you're down and out and lift up your head and shout, there's gonna be a great day. Why wouldn't those kids in the commercials share at least some of their lucky charms with the leprechaun or their tricks with the silly rabbit? What was the motivation? How powerful was this notion of a product made for kids that was so exclusive that they'd sneak off to their own hideout to eat it? Was this somehow a direct appeal to the innate selfish impulses of children? Also, how come there were so few girl cereal mascots? Look at Fruity Pebbles, which was presumably named after Fred Flintstone's daughter, but she's nowhere to be seen on that box or in most of the ads. Yes, women and girls have shown up every now and then. Barbie, Strawberry Shortcake, Wonder Woman, Hannah Montana, Disney Princesses. They've all had their own limited edition cereals. Dora the Explorer, introduced in 2006, has done very well for herself. She's still sticking around. But, can anybody listening Name a single female identifying mascot created exclusively to promote a kid's breakfast cereal before Carmela Creeper in 2023? Seriously, I'd love to hear about it. Anyway, why do these corporate-created characters still resonate so deeply within me? Is it simple, cheap nostalgia? The long-lasting effect of having watched all of that television? And all of those commercials, every Saturday morning, so repetitively, that they occupy the same spaces of my brain, where you'd also find multiplication tables and state capitals? Or does it go deeper and even weirder than that? Could it be that I once felt so bad for the Trix Rabbit that I actually identified with him? Like me, he was a picky eater. He ate no carrots, preferring a grain-based diet, artificially dyed and fortified with mysterious fruit-flavored chemicals, just the way I liked it. And, just like me then, and maybe just like me now, the Trix Rabbit, who has never even granted a name of his own, has always yearned for something that just might be perpetually out of his reach which might not necessarily be the worst thing in the world for him, whether he likes it or not. Is and poor Count Chocula. So misunderstood. You see, he was never a monster, because he's not really a vampire. The Count doesn't suck the blood of virgins to sustain himself. He sucks down leftover chocolate milk and marshmallows. And because he's really just a weird guy in a costume with a silly accent, 
He is not immortal. He sacrificed everlasting life, all for the sake of a yummy breakfast cereal with his own name on the box. And if that's not commitment, I don't know what is. And I respect the hell out of it. I hope you've had fun listening to this part of a complete breakfast mini-episode of Let's Talk 10. Join us next Monday when we'll drop a new regular episode with a new guest and new top 10 lists. Thank you for listening, and have a great day.